What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I'm joined with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Not yeah. not feeling. Uh, you got any of that uh, those COVID symptoms? No, 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 not yet. So would you say? <laughs> <laughs> You're not down with the sickness. I'm not down with that. I'm not down with the Shanghai shivers. <laughs> <laughs> the chopsticky sicky. <laughs> the chopsticky sicky. Uh, but uh, there's other ones I, I just immediately was thinking of that I'm not going to say because <laughs> my 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 son called it the chopsticky sicky the other day, and uh, I started laughing. I'm like, oh man, I'm rubbing off on that kid more than I know. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else, I'd probably get into trouble. All the other names I've seen. I know, yes. Right. I know. Right. Uh, especially today, because in the world today, it's on fire, literally on fire. Uh, um, United States is rioting in all of these liberal cities, Baltimore, L.A., Atlanta. Um, they're trying in D.C., but uh, they're getting squashed pretty quickly out there. Um, but uh, And so if you said anything racial about the mm-hmm. virus, called it the, 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 you know, the Chinese flu or whatever, uh, you would catch heat because it, yeah. we're so racially charged right now uh, as a nation. Well, good thing we don't uh, talk about anything racial, <laughs> racially sensitive in this episode. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We have a great episode. It's going to be cool. We'll get into that in a minute with our, get, with our guest. But uh, what do you know, man? Hey, um, did you know that John Lennon, this is in honor of our guest, so I hope he hears this. Okay. <laughs> uh, in honor of our guest, uh, did you know that John Lennon tried to convince Paul McCartney to drill a hole in his skull? Wow. I did yeah. not. For a lobotomy? <laughs> no, it's called trepanning. Whoa. So I'll read this. Uh, the act dates back to at least at least 6500 BC and was done for many reasons, including letting out evil spirits, treating health problems such as <laughs> migraines and mental health issues, and releasing pressure from the brain. I will say I did not – I stumbled across this thing today. Last night, I had a really bad migraine, and it did pop <laughs> into my head. I was like, I wish I could drill a hole in the back of my head right now. Just to relieve to pressure. Release pressure. So I think it's and all those evil spirits would leave too. Hopefully, <laughs> trust me. I wish they'd leave. Uh, it said, according to the Beatles star, Lennon had become interested in trepanning in the 1960s. "Quote: John was a kooky cat." <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah, we'd read. We'd all read about it. The ancient art of trepanning, which led lent a little bit of validity to it because ancient must be good. He explained, all you'd have to do is bore a little hole in your skull and it lets the pressure off. (laughs) Well, that sounds very sensible. But look, John, you've got to try it and let me know how it goes. (laughs) Asked if Lennon had really suggested they drill holes in their skulls, McCartney replied, yeah, but this isn't the good thing about, but this is the good thing about John and I. I'd say no. And he knew me well enough that if I said no, I meant no, and I'm not frightened of being uncool to say no. <laughs> that's, that's and, oh, a- this is this this is a great quote. And so he goes on. 
And I wouldn't go so far as to say you're effing crazy because I didn't need to say that. But no, I'm not going to trepan. Thank you very much. It's just not <laughs> something I would like to do. <laughs> That's so British. She's like, I wouldn't call him effing crazy. It, it, almost given like, because we all know he is. Uh, yeah. But I just don't want to have uh, a hole drilled in my head. Thank you just very say, much. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. Please. Uh, I'm good, sir. Have some more tea. <laughs> it's like John Lennon was like to Paul hey Paul how are you feeling I have a slight headache oh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got the cure that's all that's all I keep hearing in my head <laughs> I know you know it's funny I was uh, the whole reason I isolated that clip is because uh, I was thinking of a theme song for this whole COVID epidemic that the whole world's been going through and I thought down with the sickness Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even remember the band's name, but uh, Disturbed. Disturbed, that's what it is. But I could, you know, I was nervous. Like, I don't want to play a clip of a song from a band and then get sued, us get mm -hmm. sued. So I just played that one, like, three second clip. And I don't think you can get in trouble for that. I don't think so either. And it's such a well known, I mean, like, it's just very you know, distinguishable. Yeah. <laughs> See, what we're doing right now is we're making commentary on the clip so that it could be used as fair use. Right. That's exactly so what we're doing. So we can't get it taken down. So, Disturbed, you guys should sell your song to, like, um, Bill Gates so that when he's, we're, he's trying to push the vaccine, we can be, like, down with the sickness. Are you down with the <laughs> sickness? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyways. All right, man. Hey, you want to jump into this? Yeah. All right. We have a great guest on the other side of the intro here. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, our next guest on the podcast is someone that you may have heard before. We had him on back in April of 2019, episode number 38, and he is the author of two great books. One is called Architects of Betrayal. It's a definition of what was happening with Brexit, and that's why we had him on last year. And now he has just released another book called Monsters of Their Own Making. You can find him on Twitter at, at Jack Buckby. And I want to welcome to the podcast once again, Jack. Jack, how are you, my man? Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I'm I'm good. How are you? We are doing great, man. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's just jump into it. Let's jump right into it. You just released a new book, and it's it's called Monsters of Their Own Making, and uh, it's talking about the far right extremism that is yeah. happening. This this far right extremism. So can you just share with our listeners, get them up to speed uh, about the book a little bit, and um, talk about what your whole goal was with that. Yeah, so let me start by saying that, well, first, the, the, the subtitle of this is how the far left, the media and the politicians are creating far right extremists. And that kind of throws people off a little bit at first, because if they don't understand the context of the book. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, a, a reformed conservative who became a far left liberal multiculturalist. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm saying. 
Um, I am a conservative. I, I, I may be considered a populist by some. I consider myself a culturist in that I, I believe in the primacy of national culture. I, I'm certainly right-leaning. But I think it's important that conservatives accept that there is a far right in the same way that there is a far left. And when I say far right, I'm not talking about economic far right. I think that's really by the by. I think we're talking about social issues here. So you can have a conservative who is you know, strict on immigration, but someone who's far right may want to expel everybody who isn't white and you know, deny the Holocaust and kick out the Jews. So I think it's important to accept that that far right does exist. And the reason why my perspective on this is maybe different to some is because I came from that world. You know, I, I became politically active at the age of 15. I joined a white nationalist political party, which was doing very, very well in Britain at the time. And I was pushed up the ranks. My friends were terrorists um, who, what, some are, are in prison now. One is in prison for trying to murder our local MP. Mm. Um, so I, I had a, I've had a pretty wild life, if I'm honest with you. And I've, I've sure. come out of it at the end. Uh, going through those experiences, I've come out of it as a, a, a fairly moderate conservative that's constantly smeared as an extremist. And I just wanted to get this down into paper. And I think the, the overarching theme, the overarching argument of this book, um, based on my experiences, which I outline in detail, is that the far right is being created by the politicians being negligent and refusing to talk about specific issues, by the media smearing decent people, and by the far left making it impossible to live your life on your own terms. Hmm. Man, okay. <laughs> well, that's a great synopsis of why you wrote it. Um, you, you mentioned that you started off, you know, on that on that far right side um, of of the of everything. How how do, what was it that kind of pushed you more away from that? What were, what were the things that you saw happening, or what was there a, a specific event that occurred in, in your? You know, you mentioned your friend that's in jail, or this guy that you know that's in jail. Um, so what was that? Uh, the, the thing that got me into politics was the case of a young girl called Charlene Downs. Um, she was a young girl from Blackpool. She, I think she was 11 years old. In 2001, she went missing. She was a victim of Muslim grooming gangs. And I got a feeling we might have talked about this in the last podcast. I can't remember. Yeah, I think we did. Um, but that, that, that was the case that got me involved because it came at a time around 2008 or so when these Muslim grooming gangs, which are, are gangs of majority Muslim men across the United Kingdom who were raping and abusing young girls. And it was covered up by the police. And we've had several government inquiries and reports into this. And, and, and they did find that the police were actively ignoring these cases. And we've had several admissions from people in the police, from local politicians. Uh, from police and crime commissioners that they didn't want to rock the multicultural boat and that they didn't want to be appear as racist. And so being in a working class community and speaking to and meeting these people, you knew this was going on, but the politicians didn't want to talk about it. And when I met the family of Charlene, who was raped and abused and killed and her body never found, that made me really angry. And as a young man, you know, with testosterone and hormones flowing through you, you just want to go out and fight the world. And that's what I did. And I, through a series of life, uh, you know, just a series of things that happened to me, I ended up 
being pushed fairly high up in the ranks of the, the party that I joined, the British National Party. Um, among neo-Nazis and actual, actual proper far-right people. And what was interesting is uh, I never really subscribed to those really, really far-right ideas. I believed them when they said they'd modernized because they were telling the whole country, we've modernized, we aren't the party we used to be in the 80s, which was basically uh, National Front-style neo-Nazism. And yeah, I was young, dumb, and angry, and that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so when you jumped into that, you you said you were young, and uh, you know, I, I can I think that there's. I want to try and draw a correlation between your your situation and your uh, story and what you see happening, especially right now in the United States uh, with the conservative movement. Because it seems as though there's uh, been a rise in some of these really far right individuals, mm -hmm. and you know I think interesting things happen. They get censored or they get you know um, pushed off of net, you know platforms, and they you know even things like play PayPal and things like that. They so they're c trying to cut them off, but it's not it's not other conservatives that are that are saying you've gone too far. It's the ultra left wing side. <laughs> that's trying to yeah. silence any voice and yeah i mean the, w what we're saying with this censorship is if if the platforms the social media platforms really wanted to foster better discussions and to sort of squash that 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 extreme right they wouldn't be censoring them because the moment you censor them it this is another theme I, I have in the book is proving the far right right. So if they're saying there's a conspiracy to silence us, and by the way, it's the Jews, <laughs> and then you start silencing them, and some of the people doing it happen to be Jewish, then <laughs> that's kind of proving their argument right and giving them, mm -hmm. um, you know, wh whether it's a conspiracy or not, really, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think much of these people are genuinely scared of them, and, and they should be. Um, I've seen what can happen with these young lads and, you know, the Nick Fuentes of this world um, might not be the one to enter a, a mosque or a synagogue with a shotgun, but his viewers will. Um, so there's, it's right to be scared of some of these guys. Um, and I think sometimes the censoring of them is well-intentioned, but it, it backfires and it proves them right. There's a conspiracy to silence us and they want us silent because we are right. And when they are offering answers to young white men who are so disillusioned and angry, because let's face it right now, if you really, if you got to choose who you were or who you're going to be when you're born, I would probably choose Hispanic female. <laughs> I would not, I would not choose white straight man. <laughs> not now, right? Not, not, not today. Not now. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, it's not, it's, it, we don't have this privilege they they say we have because white straight men are blamed for absolutely everything. And when you were a young man being brought up in that culture, being blamed for absolutely everything and constantly being neutered by these these mental cases, and then, you know, it's, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose these church ladies on the left who say, this is what you can say, this is what you can't say, this is how you have to behave? Are you going to choose that? Or are you going to choose these really fun guys on the far right 
who are laughing and telling really cruel, nasty jokes and just having fun on podcasts. I mean, the choice is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's a, uh, and to go with like the premise of the book, it is uh, like I know that, that they have the term now where uh, like irony, bro. I'm not mm. exactly sure when it jumped up, but I mean, that's like Just all, irony, bro. Yeah. And it's like this weird post 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 modernism, where it's like three uh, levels away from like something, you know, cause it's like super meta about meta about all this other stuff that it's, no one gets. It's and, a triple bluff basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it is, I mean, it is the, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to try to think of how to word it. Um, but yeah, it, it is when you see these guys having fun and um, the le- the left has gotten so, so crazy that it, the, uh, like just saying, like just being able to say like, uh, it's okay to be white. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. and that's taken as something because when people like these young guys, when they see, um, getting yelled at and being called a racist because they say it's okay to be white. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. So now it's not okay to be white, but I am white and I can't help it. So, right. And, and then they go with these guys that say, um, oh, yeah, it's the Jews because they're and, not, yeah, they hate. Right. And also they're the only ones saying this because most people, I mean, you can say this about America and England, Go and speak to the average normal person. It's easy to feel like, um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not necessarily speaking on behalf of you guys, but certainly for me, it's easy to think the whole world thinks in the same way that we do when we're on Twitter and stuff and arguing over politics. And actually, most people don't. My neighbors, right. when I moved into this crap apartment I'm in right now, um, I'm waiting for my visa to go over to America to be with my wife, and I'm just stuck in this apartment in England by myself. <laughs> and I, I met my, my neighbors, and I've become friends with them. And I always have this nervous, nervous moment where I'm like, how are they going to react when they find out about me? <laughs> and they didn't care because they were like, what, what's what? Like they, they don't get any of this stuff because they're not interested in it. So when it comes to all this far left sort of proselytizing, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can say this, you can't say that. And all these new social customs, um, the only people fighting back against it are the ones that are actually go, hang on, that's crazy. And the only people who are actually really that worked up about it and really want to fight back against it happen to be these neo-Nazi extremist types because everyone else are just normal people who can't be bothered with that crap. So, you know, the the fact that the they are there, they're having fun, they're offering answers to mm-hmm. young men who are being um, uh, marginalized and smeared um, by this... Uh, I argue the three-pronged attack. You know, you you have politicians that don't want to talk about issues like immigration and the way that neighborhoods change with mass immigration uh, and and other working-class specific issues. Um, some that maybe will disagree about me being a British conservative and all that. Um, but then you've got the media <laughs> who uh, constantly, you know, if you feel neglected by the politicians, like the politicians aren't listening to you, you would expect that the media are the guys that might actually represent your interests mm-hmm. and when it's the media that calls you racist too it's like holy crap all right then well what do we do and people go out into the streets and protest and then the minute you go out in the streets and protest and say hey somebody represent these causes we care about 
you get bricked in the face by some lunatic with dreadlocks. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, all I see is we're backing people into a corner. Um, and when you back people into a corner, what are they going to do? Eventually, they're just going to lash out. And that's what we're seeing with these really crazy far-right people. And what I would say about that is, yes, the far left is more vocal and more numerous. But that doesn't mean... The existence of one problem doesn't mean another doesn't exist. Uh, it doesn't negate the other. And it also doesn't mean that the far right doesn't have an opportunity to grow. Because what I'm seeing, it is growing. And they are, they are um, recruiting off this proselytization uh, or proselytizing from the left. And it's just going to get worse. So what I would say about this is don't pretend it doesn't exist. And just because it's politically easy to say, oh, everyone's far right these days. Don't pretend it, it doesn't exist because it does. You said there was yeah. a, a three-pronged uh, approach. You said it was the, poli- the, pol- the political, the media. What was the third one? The far- so the, 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 the politicians ignore you and don't represent you. The media smear you, and then the far left attack you. Okay, so mm. the, the actual far left, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the media for a second because, you know, even our podcast, which is small, and like un, unnoticed, we still have experienced different types of suppression um, just because of keywords or titles or whatever, or guests, you know, um, mm. we've had certain guests and because their name shows up in a feed somewhere, it ends up, you know, being hidden from things. How well, can my name, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, I'm proud to have your name on our podcast, man. <laughs> but, uh, but how, so the media, like what's going to change that? Is it just going to be a complete reform of the media or is there going to be a rise in a right side of, of media that can happen? Cause we, in America, we all thought that Fox news was going to be that. And you look at it now and it's a joke. Yeah, it's, um, but, you know, I would start by saying I don't think it's that healthy to have these two competing wings of media. Hmm. I mean, it can be fun, and it can be fun, but, you know, the, the, there are dangers to having this, this this huge political divide, and we've seen that exaggerated within the last 10 years or so, and it, it's not been pretty. Um, I think the end goal with the media should be for them to, they can't be a f- okay let me wind this back a bit the problem with the media isn't necessarily that they are far left it's that they pander to the far left because they're terrified of them mm-hmm. i don't think for a moment that every single person in the media is extremely far left i think most of them are liberal yes but i don't think they're full-on sjw's but they pander to that uh, because they are vocal they are loud and they will tr- you know, they will ruin your reputation mm-hmm. if you don't pander to it. So I think the way of solving this, and one of the arguments I'm making in the book, is that we actually have to, and I'm sorry to say this, guys, we have to empower liberals, sane liberals, <laughs> because they're the ones who have the power to stop this madness. There's not, not much we can do about these blue-haired crazy people because we're, <laughs> they're, we're mm-hmm. always going to be evil to them. They're never going to listen to us. And at the same time, they're never going to listen to the left. But here's what the left can do. The left can reclaim their own narrative. They can refuse to be bullied 
by these people. They can stand up for their own liberal principles and the likes of CNN, the likes of the New York Times can become normal, Democrat leaning liberal outlets like they used to be. They can boot out the SJWs. And you know what? The only backlash they get will be the backlash from the SJWs because they are a tiny, tiny minority of people. Mm. You know, it's mad that we found ourselves in this situation where we're pandering to a small minority of lunatics. Mm -hmm. Really, the liberals have it within their power right now to turn off this switch and things go back to normal. Yeah, we'll probably end up with a few more riots on the streets, but you know, they're like children. Eventually they cry themselves on, <laughs> until they can't cry anymore. <laughs> so I think the media can be fixed. I think the goal should be for it to return back to sort of more level-headed ground, but I think that will only happen if liberals feel more empowered to stand up to these mental cases on their own side. And in turn, as I say in the book, this will, will stop this reciprocal extremism on both sides. So don't you think, though, that you talked about a pandering to a small minority. Um, isn't that part of the entire liberal, uh, like a foundational building block of liberalism is this whole political correctness, which feeds right into that? Because you can't tell somebody that they're wrong. You can't tell somebody that they're what they are is you know too much or not right or doesn't fit in because now you're being intolerant. And that's where I get frustrated yeah i mean i mean yes and no i mean classical liberals of which i'm friends with many really hate this authoritarian uh left-wing authoritarianism because it, it isn't liberalism and i you know i hope i don't sound like a, one of these people that just parrot standard talking points here but this is an accurate analysis to say that you know the left aren't liberal they're not um so uh, isn't it a, a, a foundation of that? I would say no, because, you know, lib liberals, as you say, as you accurately say, you can be who you want and do what you want. But what we're seeing with these authoritarian whack jobs is actually you can't be who you want and you can't say what you want. So I think that I think those original liberals are still there, but I think they are terrified, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm just saying, I, I, I think they're terrified, and yeah. I describe them in the book as the owners of an unruly dog. Mm. And the SJWs, the authoritarian far left, are the unruly dog that they are terrified, they're constantly nipping at their hands. They just need to kick the dog out. I, I yeah, I completely agree. And I was going to say, like, uh, there's the, the first example that popped into my head was. Uh, like with the all the gay stuff, like the actual gay stuff, not just like, you know, stuff we call gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I was gonna say, you know, like um, I know this is again. I hate do, using like bumper sticker uh, slogan. The left of the They're, real racists, right? And uh, I was gonna say, like, you look back at like 2008, Barack Obama, his platform, and Hillary Clinton are both against gay marriage. Yeah, or that, and. Uh, I mean, just using that as an example, because I immediately th thought, and, and this kind of goes into like the radicalizing, I think, where, um, how do I say it? So like liberals, I, I think, okay, so a standard conservative Christian, at least here in the United States, 
it's like like because of my faith i think that gay marriage is wrong and they shouldn't be do that but we shouldn't like we're not stoning them to death we're not killing them or anything like that we're just like hey we don't think that's right and that's it like you you know just kind of whatever and the liberals used to be like hey we think that they should be able to get married and that was it that you know that was basically the argument is okay why do you think you know and just it's even kind of civil and then all of a sudden you have this crazy stuff where it's like no you have to be gay and i mean like (laughs) to the point where it's i mean they're literally like saying stuff like that and then that's the whole narrative that gets pushed and that's where you see the people they're like i don't want to be gay what do you you know drag queen story hour and all this stuff and because they're so, like you said, they're so scared of uh, the backlash. Because those are the people that will, because they don't have jobs. <laughs> These mm-hmm. social justice people, they're, you know, a lot of them rich, trust fund kids that can wow. just do whatever they want. They will spend all the time uh, calling up, you know, sponsors of people and organizing this stuff. And uh, I mean, that's one of the things, like, I think when you made the point that it's a small minority of people that are actually doing it, I think, yeah, obviously that's correct. But if you get 10,000, 10,000 people, 12, 15,000 people, that's not, that's, that's really not a lot of people. And they all are insistent on, uh, you know, sending letters and calling and spamming a company, a company, you know, nowadays will, pander to 15,000 people mm-hmm. because they don't want to keep hearing about it. So I, I just wanted to point out, cause I, I actually had never heard anyone say to empower the actual mm-hmm. like civil liberal liberals. You know what I mean? They're still there. They're still there. And what I would say is, um, we've gotten to this situation and the real, the reason why the, this minority are so powerful is because they've been putting out their feelers for the last 10 years or so. You know, I remember being at university in 2011 and it was bad then it was really bad, but it, it, it was really just the start. I, I feel like around 2010, 2011 is when things really started getting a bit weird with the, with the, with the kids, the kid with which I was one. And, they, they've been putting their feelers out and testing the waters bit by bit by bit every year. And, you know, they come out and they say, we want gay marriage. And people, you know, Conservative Party in the UK went, maybe it's time we do that. And they implemented gay marriage. And then they say, we want more trans rights. Oh, well, you know, if, if you want to be who you want to be, then then sure. OK, let's do that. I want 57 pronouns. Uh, okay uh, sure let's talk about that and the the th- the reason why this has happened so incrementally is because fundamentally we live in a society of good people the the west generally we are good people it's a high trust society we take people at face value and we believe people when they say they're acting out of good faith and we believe that them saying these things, or at least normal people not in politics, believe these people saying these things because they think they want to do good, they feel good in their hearts, and what they don't realize is that these people are deeply politically motivated, and we've been taking them at face value. And that has really empowered those people. Uh, and we find ourselves there, no, not through any fault of us being 
ignorant or bad, but purely because we are good. And now we're in a situation that we can only get out of by appearing to be bad. And that's difficult. You know, if we've, we've spent our whole lives, we've spent generations and generations and generations of, you know, our, our Western civilization being good to other people. How, how do we then go about in, instituting major, major reforms and walking back these crazy, crazy ideas that have become normal when it makes us look like bad people. And mm. that's, I think, what is so scary um, to the, the people on the right who are scared of talking about it, of which I think there's not actually that many. The right is more and more emboldened by the day over this stuff. And in turn, the far right is even more emboldened by it. But the left is still terrified because they don't want to be considered bad. Yeah, I was going to say it is the it's totally I've been seeing the same thing with the incrementalism. And I mean, just looking now and maybe we can move on to a different topic since we've been talking about this for a while. But the uh, it's interesting, like if you look at the platforms of standard conservative, we're like at least here in the United States. Well, I'd argue the Republican Party hasn't been conservative in quite a while, but um the Republican Party platform is like eight to ten years behind where liberals used to be. Right. And it is because, of, yeah, I think we're good people and all that. But so we, you had, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but you had mentioned it um, just earlier uh, in this podcast about being stuck in the apartment by yourself. And um, I know that you you came out uh publicly with it when you guys uh you and your wife martina um i, I can't remember who published it first or so what i'm getting at is you are stuck in the uk even though your wife is american she's here in america and you can't be here in america mm-hmm. um and that is uh i mean i don't want to you know, not say, um, like I don't want to call it a smear campaign because it's a lot more than that. Yeah. And, um, but it just, that whole situation is kind of what I'm alluding to. Can you talk about that now that I know a lot of it is public? The public. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was reported to the FBI as a terrorist. Um, somebody claiming that I was planning on coming to the United States in March of t- 2017. So over three years ago, you know, over three years ago, claiming that I was planning on coming to the United States to commit terrorist atrocities, which is rubbish. Um, and they investigated me. They they realized it wasn't true, but it resulted in my visa being canceled. And this was in the very early days of my relationship with my now wife. Um, it was a time when um, her younger sister had leukemia, and it was very difficult because we decided to get married very, very quickly. And we knew we were going to get married. And so we wanted me to go and meet her family and do all that stuff. And she came to the UK to meet my family, but I couldn't go to the US to meet her family because of this fake tip, which resulted in my my visa waiver travel being revoked. And visa waiver, if you're unaware, which you, I presume you are because you're, you're Yanks, you don't need it. <laughs> um, but when, when you're 
if you're tra- planning on traveling into the US, you can pay $15 or whatever it costs, and they just register you, and it means you can travel into the country without a visa. And that is what most people use in England to go to America. That was canceled mysteriously after me visiting America twice a year for like four years or something. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then um, the like the same week that that travel was canceled, I got a phone call from the FBI after they'd visited my wife. And they basically talked to me about the accusations that were made against me. I told them it was nonsense. I rather foolishly said, I will give you all my passwords. I don't care. You can check me out. I'm not a terrorist. To which I said, you're the FBI. You probably don't need those. Um, but, um, you know, um, I, I, I was very, very open with them. I said, listen, I might live a bit of a weird life, but behind the scenes, it's very boring. And they, they believed me, but, you know, my visa was canceled. So then I applied for a normal visa. That was re- uh, rejected pending administrative processing, which should take 60 days. It took two years, and those two years I had no answer, and having no answer meant I couldn't enter the USA. So that was another two years I couldn't go and meet her family. And the only reason that was even resolved and I got my answer was because I had to sue the United States government. I sued Homeland Security, the State Department, and the Justice Department, and I sued them for an answer because they didn't give me an answer to the visa. I sued them, I won, I withdrew the case because they gave me what I want, um, but what what they gave me was a no. <laughs> they said no, you can't come in. And we, at that point, we were like, "Wow, you know, we we didn't know what to do, and we 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 had to delay our wedding because of that, because you know, um, issues with family and where are we going to get married and stuff. And we were hoping that the visa would be resolved by the time we got had the wedding, and we knew that." it was kind of pointless getting married because we couldn't apply for the, uh, for the spousal visa to move to America until that was resolved. So anyway, we got married. I'm in the process of coming to the United States now. I've had some help from a congressional office, but uh, I, I'm still very much in the system. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I, I think it will be resolved, but it goes to show just how easy it is to, to really, really ruin someone's life with just a fake tip because of course the government has to be responsible and make sure that that fake tip wasn't real. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person I probably should have mentioned, the person that did this was a, a woman called Juliette Jeske, who is a 47 year old cat lady in New York city, whose husband left her for a man. Oh. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she was, she's been very, very bitter about me and my wife, Martina, because she, she worked with Martina a few times. She's from the performing arts scene in, in New York. And she's a very, very mentally deranged, nasty, nasty woman. I, I, I think, I, I don't know what, what other adjectives I could use to describe her. She's nasty and mean spirited. And she does it under the guise of being righteous and pure. And that's what makes these people so dangerous is they, they've elevated themselves to God level. They are, the, they are the arbiters of truth. And if you disagree with them, then anything they do to destroy your life is righteous. Mm. It is the right thing to do. And she wrote a blog post about this. And it's like 10,000 words long. She's written it like it's some kind of novel. And she's you know ex- ex- describing every moment of her pain of going through these experiences of destroying our life, you know, where she, she talks about how she felt when she reported me and some other people to the FBI, because she did it to others too, um, 
she talks about how she felt when she reported us and she cried because she felt this is what it must have felt like in World War II fighting the Nazis. And it's like, <laughs> these, these people, man, it's, they're insane. They're, they're genuinely insane. And this is what I mean, going back to what we were saying before about empowering the moderate left, is this is who they've, they've kowtowed to. Mm-hmm. Mental cases. A woman who only does this to make herself feel better because her husband left her for a man like this is what she fills her life with now and suddenly like this is normal this is the new normal that you know you're fighting nazis because you disagree with someone on on i don't know what does she disagree with me on mass immigration that conservative islam might be dangerous i mean like (laughs) i'm not that controversial (laughs) do you let me ask you a question first of all I'm glad it's getting worked out. That makes me very happy. I hope that it is sooner than later that you'll be able to, you know, come back over right. here. And and when you get over here, I'd love to, you know, like I said last time, buy you a beer. Um, oh, I'll be coming down. So, you guys are down south, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we are south. <laughs> <laughs> we're below the Mason-Dixon line, and we never, we ain't Yanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're Yanks to us. You're Yanks yeah. to us. Sorry, I interrupted. What were you saying? No, I mean... Yeah. So c- congrats that it's getting worked out. I'm so happy for you that you're on this, getting this, you're in the final stages, hopefully of being reunited with your wife. Yeah. Um, but w- so you mentioned something and it just spurred in my mind. Do you think that the left permits these far, you know, crazies on the extreme left? Do you think that they let them stay where they are and don't actually come against them because they are somewhat of a useful idiot for them that they can just Hey, let's. We know that they're going to silence certain voices that have strength and are opposing to us. That are going to, um, you know. So let's keep these guys around to do these type of attacks, so that they will silence them, and you know, and stop what they're trying to do. I mean, maybe, but I. If that's true, then I think that's likely what happened at the start, maybe ten years ago or something. Yeah. And now they got to a point where they're, they're trapped in this sort of loveless marriage and they don't really know how to get out of it. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I suspect that's probably what happened at first, but they must realize. I, I mean, I think actually, and I can't remember whether I wrote this in the last book or whether it's in my notes for my next book. I have a horrible memory, but I know I've written this somewhere. Is I think it all boils down to money. Because uh, the media industry generally is is struggling, mm-hmm. and the newspapers are aren't selling anymore, and people are getting things for free online. And I think they see this young generation of weirdos as a cash cow. So as much as they are kind of trapped in 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 you know you know, trapped in this sort of loveless marriage or whatever with, with these far left radicals as, as much as that's the case. And they probably realize how crazy they are at the same time. They're, they're, they're they're just about making up for the sales that they're losing and and they're managing to plod along by Mm -hmm. writing articles about the top 10 styles for men with man buns and stuff. You know, Like it's it, at the end of the day, they've got to survive somehow. And um, the reason why I'm wondering whether I've written this for the next book is because this is on the topic of sensationalism, which is something I'm really interested in too. Is at this point, the only thing 
that can make the media money is sensationalism. Mm -hmm. That's what sells. Um, and then there's a whole other discussion around that, which maybe is for a different show entirely, which is the, the, the worrying thing about sensationalism selling is that the, the only sells because that's what people want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's scary too. What do you think about, um, uh, so I'm seeing on in like right now when we're recording this podcast, there's massive riots that are happening in the United States all over. And then I saw that they actually spurred up into England today in London today. Um, oh God. Yeah, I saw with this, <laughs> So George Floyd is the, is the, um, African-American guy that got, that was killed by a police officer. And I'm seeing, so you, you scroll through your feed on social media and you, you know, I follow a plethora of people on purpose because I like to be able to see what's being said on both sides. Um, mm -hmm. It's helpful to just be educated and know what they're thinking. And on the right side, I'm seeing this whole, you know, narrative being by some, not all extreme right either. They're moderate, but most of them are, are um, kind of your typical conservative, but they're really looking at this individual by the name of George Soros, who seems to be, they're accusing him of, of funding and sending in people to create more chaos in the right. midst of these riots. And those people would be considered the far left extremists um, mm -hmm. that, you know, even to the point of where on, you know, social media like Instagram, you're seeing clips of protests that are pretty typical, normal. I mean, they're angry, but then all of a sudden you'll see one particular individual who will go in and just start to work it up and then break a storefront window and get mm -hmm. get them to move in a direction that they probably wouldn't have gone otherwise. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the George Soros stuff isn't conspiracy theory because not many conspiracy theories are listed on financial documents proving it's accurate, you know? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, the Open Societies Foundation, or, yeah, the Open Societies Foundation, you can see where all that money goes. It goes to groups like this, and they do pay protesters. And I do think there's some fake videos. Like There's, the, there's a video I've seen of a guy a white guy going around handing money to people and they're like, oh, he's paying protesters. I don't know what that's about. Um, he might be paying protesters, but I don't think that's how this Open Societies Foundation funding works. Um, right. That money goes into think tanks and organizations and, you know, political action groups and things. Right? It's not just handed out to people on the street. Um, it's very possible that that video of the white fella giving money to black guys on the street is actually some absolute moron giving reparations. I would not be surprised <laughs> by that. Um, so like, I, that's, that was my immediate thought when I saw that video because I've seen people talking like this. So, uh, yeah, the, the, there are these far, far left groups out on the street. Uh, some of them are uh, funded indirectly by George Soros. Um, the one thing I would say about these protests is this whole thing is a white nationalist wet dream mm -hmm. because they, they, their answers, their solutions um, that they give to young white men who have questions about this new world we live in where they're evil, they're to blame for everything and there are things that they can and cannot say and can and cannot do. And the answers that they get from the white nationalists is, well, there's this Jewish conspiracy and blah, de, blah, de, blah, this group says this and this group says that. And, you know, uh, we cannot live uh, peacefully with black people. And, and the, you know, that, that these are the things that they, the far right groups say. And then 
they turn on the TV and they see left-wing, far-left organizations, some of which are funded by uh, atheist groups, by non-religious groups, by Jewish groups, and things like that. And, of course, the far-right points specifically to the, 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 the examples of Jewish groups as the evidence that it's a Jewish conspiracy. And then they see black people out on the street rioting uh, in what is effectively a race war. And combined with Antifa and far-left communists, I mean, that what more could white nationalists want? That's hmm. their recruitment. Hmm. All they need to do is turn on CNN right now or any TV news network, film it, put it on YouTube and say, this is why we exist. And let me tell you, if people are afraid, and I don't think actually in this example people are that afraid to talk about this because I've seen people being very, very strongly opposed to what's happening, and that's good. Yeah. But if people are afraid to talk about stuff like this, then it really does give ammunition to the far right, and, that, and that's worrying. So I am glad to say in this example that there are people being very, very um, robust in, in, in their opposition to this. What's so funny to me is you take a situation where literally all of America agreed at first this guy should not it have died. It was a tragedy. Right. No one, was in, no one disagreed. Everyone was like, that cop was wrong. He shouldn't have killed him. That guy shouldn't have died. And it turns into this massive race war. And that's why I think that this is where the media and where you have these far left groups that come in and stir people up. That's why they're responsible. And they need to yeah. be held accountable, in my opinion. I just, it makes me so angry. You know, I have two teenagers. And they see this and they get very confused because we are a middle-class white family. We're Christian, you know, their dad, I was a pastor for 16 years. So I was evangelical conservative, right? In that pocket, you know, and yeah. they feel guilty for the, what I call, and I, like our conversation was, we're blessed. I told my kids, we're blessed. You have two parents that are married you we're we've been able to be in a middle class upper middle class you know income strata for all of our you know all of your lives um you have opportunities that have been presented to you because of these blessings you know that we have and i not i don't want you to feel guilty for that i was telling my kids i don't want yeah. you to feel guilty for that i want you to use them for the greater good so help somebody else if you can but also don't yeah. despise the fact that you have these opportunities in front of you and I think yeah. it causes so much confusion in people on how do I respond to this? What do I do? How do I, you know, I have a African-American next door neighbor. How do I talk to them without, you know, being, you know, groveling and, and like, you know, and the whole like slave owner, like it's a, it's a crazy uh, conversation in America that is literally f on a fuse and it's just going to explode. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's being, it's, it's being taken advantage of by opportunists who see this as the perfect moment to strike. And I, I am shocked by how moronic a, this decision has been, uh, whether it's, you can call it a decision. I suppose it just happened naturally. But, you know, the idea that they would riot like this just before an election is bonkers. Um, because they're not going to win any voters around doing this. And mm -hmm. let's be honest, it's not Republicans doing the rioting. Um, yeah, it scares me. The one thing I, I, I have been sort of noticing about this over the last day is 
I w- I saw a video of this woman, and I have to say, by the way, Antifa is definitely uh, provoking this 100%, but we cannot um, give Black Lives Matter and the African Americans who are taking part in this, um, we cannot give them a pass on this because they're doing it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw uh, an African American woman. What is the politically correct way of doing it? I'm in Britain. Is it black or African American? <laughs> what well, now, meant to say? It's people of color now. It's POC, is what they <laughs> okay. like to say. Okay, so I saw a fat POC running out of a <laughs> shop earlier. Uh, <laughs> I saw a POC running out of a shop. And she was holding like a big stack of um, of Nike shoes, and she's looking into the camera with this massive grin on her face, and just gets in her car and drives off. Hmm. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, in any any other day, she might walk past you in the street or drive past you at, with a veil of respectability. She's your neighbor. She's a normal person, but right right under that veil of respectability is a woman who will rob you blind the moment she has the opportunity, who doesn't care about you, who doesn't care about the community that she even lives in and will happily watch as people burn shops down and she will watch with a smile on her face. And the fact that thousands and thousands of people in one community all turn out to be like that, that really scares me. And I don't, I don't have an analysis or anything interesting well, to say on that, by the way. that That's just <laughs> something that I noticed that shocked me and I cannot relate to that. Because I know that where I came from, I came from a very working class background. Um, you know, we, we moved up to sort of lower middle class when uh, in later years. But growing up, we lived in a, a, an old miner's house in, in an old mining town. And the, my community were all working class with not very much money, too. And if, if one of us got robbed, if someone stole something from us, it was a community effort to find the bastard that did it. That was the community I remember. And I remember when it happened because someone stole my grandfather's motorcycle and the mm. whole street rallied up and we found it and we found the bastards who nicked it as well mm. and they didn't call the police. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm very, very shocked by that and it's it's something that seems very, very alien to me. It's just, so, isn't it amazing that all these people would just sell the neighbors down the river like well, that? Th- yeah, and that I don't think anyone disagrees with that stance. I think the, the the conversation that's being pushed is that be, for years uh, that community of the people of color have been oppressed and not given the same opportunities that I would have or maybe yourself. Um, and so this is just years of repression that's now they're like, I'm going to get mine back. That's the conversation. And I don't agree with it, obviously, yeah. because I'm, I'm the type of person that says, look, Look, I, I mean, look, I've, I was, I grew up in a single family home. My mom worked two jobs. Um, I was a drug dealer at 17, didn't go to college. And I've had to really work hard to put myself in a position right. to be where I am. And yes, obviously there are unique opportunities to someone who's white versus, you know, black or person of color, but that is not a limitation exclusively. And, yeah. and you cannot you cannot lean on that. And to me, that's my opinion. And I try and, you know, and I know people of color that would agree with me 100% that would say, yeah, no, you're right. That's not an excuse. But that is the narrative that it's years of repression. Go ahead, Rosie. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say it's a, and I think this is, we had touched 
upon it uh, earlier, but I think it's an important thing. Um, so, like, that is the narrative. And so, I mean, let's not be politically correct. What they see is, you know, a big black woman running out with Nikes, and then the far right says, look, black people only care about stealing shoes. Why aren't right. they stealing? Why aren't yeah. they breaking into the supermarket and stealing canned food? You know, something like that. Right. That's what they're going to say. And then look at it. It's because they're all criminals, you know, as soon as they, yeah. and that's the narrative that gets pushed. And the other thing is, is even though it's, it looks like a lot of, uh, I guess it's the same thing that there's it, like, it, we were watching the new, uh, I, I was talking with my dad, um, we were, we were, you know, talking, and I was like, hey, "Did you see the new narrative that now it's a uh, it's white supremacist that started it?" And he's like, "Oh, I haven't watched the news," and, uh, and we, we were just talking. So, you know, I went back and I was like watching just like news streams, and what's crazy about it is like in these cities, it's you know, it looks like a lot because the cameramen are on the ground and they're following around a pat uh, a group of like. 200 people on the street and they are walking around the, the street. So that you're always seeing with this group. So it always looks like everywhere they go that there's tons of people doing it. But in reality, it's not really that much. Maybe again, 15,000 in a city, which seems like a lot when you only have 300 cops or something like that. Right. And you're on every corner, but the vast majority of people have no idea that even like that the white supremacist thing was something people were saying. Because yeah. the, the normal people don't even know what's going on. Like, normal people don't aren't looting. The majority of people are not looting, and the majority of people in America are not even watching. They're not even paying attention. Oh, there's some riots going on. Okay, whatever. I'll make sure they're not coming over here. And I think that's important that when we see these things on social media, that they are presented with an agenda. They're um, shortened clips. And, uh, and I mean, I, you said this is interesting about because it's an election year. And I, I was thinking that this, so if the narrative is, is that these white cops are just killing black people en masse, they're just doing it for fun, right? They're killing it's black people. Ain't true, but yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the, the narrative is they're just out here just killing. They're just, you know, driving by in their police cruisers, just shooting up ghettos and killing innocent black people every day every day that's why that's why they the outrage is uh, so built up that they have to go and um you know burn down the city but the thing is is uh why aren't we aware of every particular one that gets killed you know why is it this particular one that right. just happens to get shown and it's because you know, I don't believe that there's there's other shootings and stuff like that that people capture on video and they just go under. No, right. like no one cares. Well, well, it's this one because it doesn't happen as often they say it as they say it does. Um, right. I yeah. think there's definitely a conversation that needs to be had about police brutality. Um, I've been looking at some of the numbers over the last few days over this, and you know, again, I, I I'm a Brit, so I'm I'm less you know, fond of guns than you guys. And, you know, so I, I would be the kind of person that says, I, I do think American police are a bit trigger happy. Um, and I think there's a conversation that needs to be had around police brutality because hundreds of extra cases are appearing every year. And so 
Yes, there's a conversation to be had there. Yes, what happened to this George Floyd fella? From what we know, because let's not forget due process, from what we know, it does look really bad. It does look like this guy basically killed him. Um, Again, due process, let's have a trial and see what happened, rather than, you know, burning down major American cities. But I think there's a conversation to be had there. But if we want to get really uncomfortable about it, (laughs) the numbers don't add up. Right. So, uh, for instance, um, more white cops are killed by um, black men than black men are killed by white cops. Mm-hmm. True. Um, interestingly, also, some data I found, um, white people generally interact with the police less because white people commit less violent crime. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite that, about twice as many white people are shot dead by the police every year than black people. And people say, oh, yeah, well, there's more white people than black people in America. And that's true. But, that you know, you've got to take into account the fact that white people interact with the police less. So if we really want to get into those numbers and if we really want to talk about racial conspiracies, then we should be banging the drum and saying that, you know, the, the, the white people are the biggest victims here. But I'm not banging that drum because I know that the police as a whole are not racially motivated. Yes, individual police officers get off on it and they have power trips and they will kill someone. And this guy, Derek Chauvin, or however you pronounce it, had a record as long as his arm of doing things like this. And it was Amy Klobuchar, 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 whatever her name is, that (laughs) let him off on multiple occasions when she was the uh, district attorney or or whatever it was in that state. So if we want to have a conversation about that, we can. Uh, But I don't think we will. Um, there is no grand racial conspiracy here. I'm quite happy to say that, um, but it doesn't win you any favors. And I think the Democrats, you know, I think they know it too, Yeah. but they are terrified mm-hmm. of stepping a foot because they know that the black vote is what puts them in power. And Biden is struggling. You know, I was looking at the numbers the other day. Uh, Obama got something like 96% of the black vote. Clinton got, I think, like 86. And Biden on the weekly polls is on 79% of the black vote right now. And he ain't doing great. And then he goes ahead and tells black people they aren't black, which was an <laughs> interesting move. Uh, <laughs> and now I saw this this um, this statement his campaign put out where they say, you know, it's 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 righteous and justified, but please, please don't burn any more things down. But it's righteous and justified. I think right. it's going to be interesting how, how they... How they square this circle um but yeah uh i can't remember the initial point here but the, i would say there there is no grand racial conspiracy here but i do think it's important we talk about police brutality what's interesting is when you say that though you say we can't it's going to get uncomfortable it shouldn't get uncomfortable the reason it gets uncomfortable is because the only people who start to talk about those numbers that you were mentioning about you know twice as many white people are killed by police officers than black people right. every year is the far right they're the yeah. only ones that are defending using statistics like that. And they say, look, you know, you're, you know, they're the ones that are, are saying it. So, yep. so now it hinders us from, if we bring those up as a talking point to bring up a factual statistic to support something that is not right, you know, to say, Hey, look, this isn't right. And this is actually the truth. Now we're going to be labeled as a far right. right. And that's, yeah. that's why it's so frustrating because you can't engage with facts 
and yep. <laughs> and that facts are what win. Facts are what change people's minds and move people in the right direction. Right. And this is another, you know, as I say in the book, you can't prove the far right right. You know, you if you keep allowing the far right to be right on a few things, like this one, for instance, because the far right are going to be the ones who talk about numbers mm-hmm. of who gets shot and you know whether it's really a racial conspiracy and things. If you just seed that ground to them, then it gives them another notch of right. like we were right on this one. Yep. We need to be stopped being terrified of talking about contentious issues because one, they're not actually contentious. They're just you know a bit shaky with really really extremist left wing people. We've got to stop seeding ground to the far right. If something is true, we have to talk about it and take that issue from the far right. That's right. Otherwise, they're going to keep gaining ground and they're going to keep joining and watching these Nick Fuentes podcasts and God knows what they'll end up doing. You know, like the, the, the sheer number of far right terror attacks that happen in the United States these days is worrying. It's worrying. And people say to me, oh, but Jack, there's uh, more, is, more people die from Islamic terror attacks. And it's like, what? Well, yeah, but it doesn't stop the other one being a problem too. When you see people entering mosques and synagogues and shooting people dead, that's scary. Right. You know, as a as a Brit coming coming to America, and I'm going to be starting my family in America. And again, as I say, someone who's not exactly a big gun guy, that scares me. That you know, only have we got Islamist terrorists, which is thankfully on the decline. But I mean, I think a lot of that is down to the authorities being on top of it. Um, You've got that. You've got these this growing far right um, resentment of of minority communities, and I worry about the future of civil discourse and even just being able to go to a shop or go to a school or go to a synagogue or a church and be safe. Hey, don't worry, so, man. We'll, we'll when you get over here, we'll take you and teach you how to use a handgun. It'll be really fun. <laughs> It'll be great. You'll actually fall in love with it. Being able to, to protect we'll your see. family and all—it's such a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, you know, in the UK, the tradition here is you just put a cricket bat under your bed. <laughs> That's how you fight the intruders. That's my backup. <laughs> if I run out of ammo or I uh, or it gets knocked out of my hand. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I mean, we're Americans. There's a there's a, a gun behind every blade of grass. Right. Isn't that what they say? Right. So <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there, which made me think of this, is that um, when we talk about the far right saying these statistics, it's the far left that, uh, and that ultra political correctness that also plays into it. They're, they're, they're literally helping each other to silence facts and truth to create a, a civil narrative so that we can actually keep sanity and, and civility in the midst yeah. of craziness. Because I guarantee you that those protests, like, okay, look, honestly, um, they have a right to protest. They should protest police brutality like you said earlier there is that needs to be a real discussion and police forces need to look at this Um, Mm -hmm. my personal experience um, is that i know uh several and my family too are police officers here in the united states um, and they become extremely cynical and and um, over years of dealing with people in the only time you interact with somebody in your job is when there's something a problem like they've broken a law or they're you're lied to constantly so when you're trying to get to the truth to find out whether or not you need to write a ticket or arrest somebody they're not going to be honest with you if they're guilty um you know typically 
Um, so what happens is, is it creates cynicism. And in the same way that we're aggressively trying to help these people that have been fighting the war on terror for the last, you know, 14, 15 years that are dealing with PTSD, I think there needs to be an honest look at the police force in America that is dealing with these same things, but they don't they don't get to leave and come home from the battlefield. It's literally right outside their front door. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know what the... Honestly, I'm not sure what the answer to this is going to be because we can talk about police brutality so the cows come home, but what are you ever going to do to stop people with bad intentions joining the police force yeah. to act out those bad intentions? I'm not, I'm not sure how you solve that. No. Um, I think it is very, very possible that this Derek Chauvin or whatever his name was uh, was racist. I think that's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Whether what we've seen so far proves that, I don't know. We know that he knelt on his neck. Uh, and we know that he was particularly aggressive and brutal, but we know that he's been involved with other inc- instances before. So he's got a history of it. We don't know. But in that case, I think we need to ask the question, who was responsible for letting this guy get away with it for so long? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's necessarily that Amy Klobuchar or, or however you pronounce that. You know, Maybe that's just a, a funny talking point because it's the Democrats. Um, I think, obviously, the bosses in that police department saw what this guy was like and didn't sack him. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Some people need to get sacked, I think. Um, and I don't think it just needs to be the guy who did it. I think it needs to be his seniors that get sacked. Mm. Um, maybe there needs to be greater accountability. Maybe local people need to be able to have more of a say about the local police forces. And, you know, uh, this is this this is the discussion we should be having. Mm-hmm. And imagine how much more constructive it would be if we could have a sensible discussion around this topic and actually come up with some proposals about accountability within the police to prevent this from happening in the first place rather than saying that all police officers and that the entire police force is inherently biased against black people you know to parrot what the far left says this is the 21st century the idea that there is tens of thousands of people working across the United States within police departments conspiring to use their power to kill black people. That's like, that's way above Alex Jones territory. That's (laughs) insane. That is really insane. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, I was going to say, it's one of those things I have, uh, I have friends that are, you know, cops and, uh, law enforcement and all that kind of stuff and the other thing that I don't think you know we were talking about you know what they have to deal with and yeah all they deal with they never deal with like really nice people they don't deal with the yeah. good people uh, like I have a buddy who is a uh, cop good friend of mine and he uh, his not station I guess his station but his area that he works in is really bad, like really bad people, all gangs. Um, Turner, I, I think like if I were to say the name, you'd be like, Oh yeah, that's a bad place. Like we, it's, it's MS 13 territory, right? It's MS 13. Yeah. yeah. Which are bad, bad yeah. dudes. Honduran, and yeah. yeah and he, I remember like, uh, he's relatively, you know, new on the force. And we were talking, I'm like, how many times do you get in a fight? And he's like, Oh, I get swung on, 
like every night, of course I get into, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, but the, the thing is, is like those cops, the good cop, you know, <laughs> there's going to be bad people and everything. There's going to be bad people that become pastors, not Turner, but I'm just saying there's bad people <laughs> that become pastors. There's bad people that become lawyers. There's bad people that become accountants. There's bad people Look that at the Catholic church. Look at what happened <laughs> with the Catholic church. I, 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 I can't, I yeah. can't believe that that's inherent to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. It's people who took advantage of the power that they're given in those positions. Mm-hmm. If you're a pedophile, you're going to work in somewhere that gives you access to children. Like school. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Right. a huge thing. Yeah. If you're a racist that wants to kneel and, and, and murder black people and get away with it, the police force is probably the place to go because where else are you going to be able to do that? Um, but how many of those people really are there? Right. Right. And I was going to say the, the thing that doesn't help is – if we start demonizing all cops and saying this is this is the point I was getting at is all these cops are just going to here here to shoot black people like I said then anytime if that gets reinforced normal black people that don't have anything to be afraid of are going to be on edge because they're getting pulled over by cops right. cops know that they're on edge they so already they're are they're edge. already on edge right. I have I have I mean, people color friends that yeah. are telling me like I'm nervous I. I have a buddy, one of my closest friends. He's he's married to a black woman. He's got two African American boys in their twenties, and he said I get nervous when they leave the house uh, because they drive fast. You know, they're they're in their twenties. They drive fast. They're just like normal twenty year old guys. They're not gonna. They're not doing drugs. They're not dealing drugs. They're not doing anything like that. And uh, but but because of their skin color, they're targeted. Mm-hmm. You know, they're targeted is you know what, how he feels. And that's a legit, like, he's not, he's white, his wife's black. He's not like uh, some liberal, you know, guy that's trying to just say what the talking points need to be. It's experience. And so I, that's why I think the legit conversation does need to be what's happening in the police force? What are they being taught? Yeah, the statistics are true. Uh, you know, violent crimes by African-Americans, the, you know, the, the, just the statistics don't lean in their favor. Yeah. And yeah. And I was going to say that does a disservice to all the other cops because there are the the most of them are good and they just want to do their job and they do go out there because they want to protect and they want to keep people safe. And um, it's like, I think one of the things that they've done, which has been smart is they've been pairing up a, a white cop with a black cop. So you got, you got, you got somebody in there if they're interacting with, a person of color, then the white cop's going to allow the the other officer to do more the majority of the interactions to help defuse any possibilities, you know, of something escalating that doesn't need to be, and, and vice versa. Um, the other th- thing that I think needs to be talked about, which is this is legit, and this is this I blame Democrats for this one hundred percent, is that where there are high populations of concentration of African Americans or people of color is typically in Democrat regions, and they are not helped by the education system. They are not helped by um, the way that, that they continue to feed into the things that are holding them back. And they always tell them that they need these things, and they don't need those things. They need to be uh, properly taken care of. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not worrying it. Clearly. No, no, I, I see what you're saying, and it's... This whole thing feels to me like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
black people are oppressed and so let's let's riot against the oppression and in turn that's creating a really negative view of black people mm -hmm. it hardly does your cause any 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 good if you turn out into the streets and stop burning things to the ground let me tell you after these protests there are going to be people in communities that were already divided mm -hmm. that maybe were on you know maybe didn't feel any hostility at all to African Americans in their community. Let me tell you, I, I, after these riots, there's going to be way more people feeling hostility towards them. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what scares me. And that's again, what I mean about the far right, because it's lending credibility to them is like, if you, like you cannot expect a community to be harmonious. If, if you, if you do what the far right says you do, you know, wouldn't it? I'm fearful of it. I'm fearful of it because I, I see the same thing with the really, really radical LGBT queer thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got so many friends who are just normal gay fellas, just normal, like a normal human being who you can go to their house and have a fun time with and have a drink and be friends and not them sat there, you know, what, wearing hot pants and feathers you know, like <laughs> weirdos because let's be honest that's not representative of of a person being gay it's representative of them being ideologically motivated oh look at me i'm making a statement these people who go out on these big lgbt queer whatever rallies they breed the the homophobia that they constantly complain about because people think what are these crazy people doing and it's the same with the people going out rioting i get that many of them feel like there's a real injustice and there is a real injustice but they've been lied to when they say that it's systematic and institutional so i feel for some of these guys rioting i really do the ones that are actually protesting and not stealing new new trainers uh, new sneakers <laughs> and tvs um but it's not helping community relations and it's just going to increase community uh, uh, racial tension in these areas and that doesn't bode well for the future. What it's going to mean is uh, more ghettoization, hmm. more divide between white and black. Yeah. And uh, I don't think right now there's actually much we can do to stop it. That that train has gone. That boat has sailed. Uh, one of the things that, like, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with the Bosnian War, but... Um, the, the most complicated war ever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, oh, mate, my, my wife, uh, his family's from Croatia. I don't get it. I don't get yeah. it. Well, I was going to say, I know to, so I was going to, that I was going to say that, but the, the, in a, a, to be very ignorant and to focus just on one example, more or less, these Christians and Muslims were coexisting in the same neighborhoods for 20, 30 years, living next door, you know, Christian, Muslim, Christian, Muslim, they're yeah. friends, they all hung out and everything. And then all of a sudden, like that, there was religious war and like Christians, it, it was on both sides. It wasn't, yeah. I, I immediately wanted to say the Muslims start killing all the Christians, but the Christians just started killing their neighbors, raping yeah. daughters, you know, everything like that. And um, I mean, I, the way things are going, I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't think 
obviously it's different, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility of uh, when we talk about slippery slopes and stuff like that in particular neighborhoods, um, ones that are, cause I want to say the other thing is, uh, and I know this is again, a very Manila, vanilla talking point. Um, there, we're still a majority white country. And that means that there's millions of white people and not all of them are rich. So, I mean, you look at particular places, the close by Appalachia, one of the poorest white areas in the entire nation. It's the poorest area in the United States. Where is that? Appalachia. Appalachian Mountains. Why why is that, though? Uh, Kentucky. Virginia, North, North, it's, yeah, Kentucky, it's a little far... West Virginia, like this, West Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia. and Virginia, right. where they all kind of converge down right. there. My mom's actually yeah. from there. That's where she right. grew up. Yeah, but I mean, huge opiate addiction problem, mm-hmm. uh, meth, and all this stuff. I mean, they're poor white people, and uh, so I want to say, first of all, it's not just you know blacks that are doing yeah. stuff because they're acting really crazy too. The white people, there's oh, yeah. you know white trash, but the thing is, is if you get into these neighborhoods where there are poor, just poor people, like of all races, um, not too many uh, poor Asians in America. But they, yeah. so, I was going to say, but um, yeah, I mean, battles between, you know, that's how a race war would kick off is in a city. Um, they just start, you know, beating up each other's neighbors and stuff like that because they think um, this poor you know uh, this poor black family next to me i'm a white guy that my neighbor's poor we make we work at the same steel mill or you know whatever like that all of a sudden he hates me and then they think that they're all trying to kill each other and Mm -hmm. that's how it's going to start and i don't think i used that example of bosnia because there have been places in history where neighbors just turn against each other we cannot pretend that the wars that happen overseas and the wars that have happened in the past are never going to happen to us now. We can't pretend right. that just well, just because we, we live in a, a, a modern society and life is a bit more comfortable for some of us um, does not mean that these things won't happen. Right. I, if you'd asked me six months ago whether the economy would be shut down by a virus that came from China and that <laughs> tens of thousands of people had died within a few months, I told you you're mental. What you want about? Like, but it, it happens. And so, I mean, these riots that are happening now, if there's anything that's going to start a race war, it's going to be people out on the street calling for the heads of white people because of a tragedy that happened that uh, was were being told is a part of an institutional problem and were being told that by people dangerously motivated with a political agenda. Right. I, yeah, I, I'm very, very worried about that. Very so, worried. I, don't. I think, man, it's so like some, a point that I made a few minutes ago, and I didn't, I didn't go on a little bit more about it, but it, I think this is an answer to some of the problem. And this is that the education system in America, in particular in the inner cities, is run and established by far-left groups, and they perpetuate yeah. a mindset to the people in those communities. And so when you're talking about the inner city of, you know, Washington DC or Baltimore or LA or Atlanta, um, what you have is extremely liberal, 
education systems and they're not they're not bringing the people they're not bringing them up into a competitive um, level where they can actually be set free and change and provide for themselves and make themselves mm-hmm. into you know um, I, this sounds really horrible but a a productive person in society and yeah. so I think it, it goes back to that primarily yeah. within those communities that the liberals have let them down like you said perfectly they have been sold a bill a lie and they're believing mm-hmm. they're believing the lies that's yeah it's an interesting point and it made me think back to when i was in school and um you know i didn't come from a privileged background and all the people in my school weren't from a privileged background either but what i remember from school and i believe even with the far far left nature of the teachers unions and the uh, and the teachers generally which is a, a, another topic entirely they told us repeatedly growing up you can go to university if you study hard you can make money you can make something of yourself me being a moron of course got into politics and turned my life upside down and that was not <laughs> the smartest idea um but there are people from my town which isn't the most privileged place at all who've gone on to do so so well for themselves and they did go to university and get their degrees and because we were always lifted up by our teachers listen yes you might be from skelmersdale but you can go and do great things and they did and compare that to i've been shocked to learn from from friends of mine who are black that in the schools or even in their families the taught that in many instances and i can't generalize because i can't say it's true everywhere but it's certainly true in many places that young black people are taught the white man will always put you down Mm -hmm. you'll always be at a disadvantage you can't always do what you want um you know and that's that's why we're here i i i was shocked the first time i heard about and i don't know if you've heard this you know was was uh pale white men um that apparently uh, there's a thing called the talk. Have you heard of this? Yeah. No. Young black kids get the talk from the parents or people in their family, and it's about how the white man will keep you down. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, okay. I'm, I never had the talk from my parents telling me you're working class and you can't go anywhere. Or, my parents or, told me I could do anything I wanted. Or, or you need to keep black people down. Don't let them succeed. They can't beat you. No one's. <laughs> no, my parents never told me that. Like they were never like, <laughs> "Hey, they're the enemy." It was nothing like that. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Um, racism, racism, right? One thing that. Okay, I, I recently met a guy from Prevent, and Prevent is an organization uh, run by the government. It's the government's counterterrorism, counter-extremism strategy that prevents young people being radicalized. And we were talking for a segment that was meant to go out on TV, but COVID happened, and uh, God knows when that will get put out, probably in a year's time or something. And we were talking, and the one thing we agreed on, something that he's concluded from their research with the government, and something I knew because it happened to me, is the racism actually comes secondary from joining these organizations. This is a bit of a tangent, by the way, but I still think it's relevant because we're not inherently racist. You know, I grew up in a 99.999% white town. There was one non-white kid in our school and everybody wanted to be his friend. Um, 
you know, the, coming from a white place didn't mean we were racist. Um, if anything, <laughs> everyone loved this guy um, <laughs> and were fascinated. Um, when I got involved with the genuine far right as a teenager, I, I joined for the cause of that young girl that was raped and abused by these Muslim grooming gangs. And also because we had a mass immigration issue at the time where huge, huge numbers of Polish people were emigrating to the UK and they were working. You better in, back off. <laughs> sorry um you know um and it was a it was an economic issue more than cultural because culturally they very very similar to us and it wasn't really a problem and if anything i'd love polish shops i like having the polish <laughs> shops in the uk but um they were working for less than minimum wage under these weird eu laws that you could get around it and it was like destroying the local economy and mm -hmm. our, our english lads weren't getting work and stuff and I joined this organization for the camaraderie and the fact that they were talking about it. And I felt like I was in a family, right? It was this family of people in the BNP, it was called, the British National Party. And I even had my BNP mum. You know, it was a woman who took me under her wing and taught me the ropes of the, this group. I went into that party having never really met anyone who wasn't white. The, 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 uh, you know, my, my auntie was black and that was about it. Um, and I didn't see her very much at all. And I went into that with no hard feelings at all. And within a few years, the stuff I was saying was vile. The stuff that I would parrot from these people was nasty, nasty stuff. And there, there was stuff I was putting out on the internet that I just looked back on. And I'm like, where did that come from? I, I was this angry young lad who was radicalized by these very real issues, immigration being one of them. And you go from being concerned about a real issue that you can talk about in a constructive way. If the politicians actually wanted to address it, it could have been talked about in a constructive way. If the media wanted to talk about it properly, rather than branding all those working class lads as racist, then it could have been talked about in a way that didn't become so racially charged. And it did become racially charged. And I was using racial language. And I, I, I can see how easy it is, especially with young people, to go from zero to 100 and... I went from zero to a hundred to zero, you know, and I feel very, very blessed that I didn't go down the same route. And I kind of, my eyes were opened as I grew up mm. and got old. But the fact that young people can be so easily sort of switched into that mindset of thinking about black and white is scary. Um, and I guess and, your point is it goes on both sides because of the talk, yeah. right? The, yeah, you know they're finding voices that can, they feel frustrated or whatever, and then they get uh, validated by their feelings, and then they get radicalized. Right, and it's right. I I think they go out and do this stuff because the talk and being taught from a young age that white people are out to get them, and this is what I mean. It becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. They keep getting fed this lie, and so they go out, and then they riot because they feel like they can't do anything else. And when they riot, the white man comes out in force and crushes them. Or in this case, orange man comes out and crushes them. <laughs> and yeah. um, you know that that's going to breed some resentment. You know, if, when Trump sends in the military and stuff, that's going to breed major resentment. And that generation of people will tell their children, "When I was your age, son, the white man put us down too." And so it's it's just going to continue. It's just going to continue, and I, I think that's very scary. Um, 
Is so again the solution? I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a big one. It's a it's a big ball of wax and uh it it won't it won't be solved on this podcast that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) three white guys we wouldn't even be validated to have the conversation but uh (laughs) we know i just keep thinking about the things that we're talking about here and if anyone ever comes in and takes snippets and things oh man you know just the very fact that we are white and trying to figure this out is a problem yeah well i was going to say no one on the internet actually knows that i'm not black you are you're 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 one of those rare black polish uh immigrants yeah (laughs) well i i my claim to fame is that i'm more native american than elizabeth warren so that's funny (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome oh man well jack man this has been amazing and i really appreciate you taking time to just share you know your life and what you're doing with your work on your in your books and also your view on these things. It's really cool to see to hear a perspective from someone who's not in the United States, who's watching this somewhat from the outside, but but has an educated, you know, understanding of a lot of what American culture is. Um, and I just really appreciate you, man. And I'm so glad that you're going to be getting over here soon and uh, looking forward to what the future holds for you with your family and all of that, your marriage. Do you have any other books or anything in the future that's in the works right now? Well, um, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's, it's good to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, I do have some books in my head. Um, the problem is with, with this coronavirus, man, it's really scuppered my, my chances with this book. It, <laughs> it's really hurt sales and, and promotions and stuff. So the question is, can I get another book deal? Um, hopefully I can. And if I can, maybe I'll self-publish again. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to talk about sensationalism a little bit more because I, again, I'm 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 in a very sort of reflective state these days, and I I think it's important for us to acknowledge failings on the right as well as the left, mm-hmm. and there are always failings, mm-hmm. and there are always things we can do better, which interestingly is something I don't hear many folk on the left say. It's not often you hear the joy reads of the world say maybe i'm wrong about this or maybe we can do better but we should say that Mm -hmm. so that's the theme i'm going to be exploring in the next one um but you know if anyone's listening to this and and intrigued i I would encourage them to pick up a copy of this book because it is it's it's my story and it's not boring (laughs) it's been a hell of a hell of a ride um and i think i from the reviews i've had of people that have read it it's been very good and i'm i'm very very privileged and honored that people are reading it and uh that's awesome. Yeah, I don't have anything to add, man. Thanks. <laughs> well, I want to thanks for having that, me on. I want to I want to encourage all of our listeners to go get the book. Go get his other book also. Go get the uh the the book on Brexit which uh uh the um Architects of Betrayal. Arch- I will I will, <laughs> I will warn you now that book the 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 feedback i've had from that book is this is a difficult read and i'm like i know <laughs> it was yeah. a difficult right uh, because the brexit thing was an absolute mess but if you want to understand mm-hmm. it that that book definitely explains it. yeah yeah and it's really important to america it's really really important to america because with britain being such a big ally of ours we need them to be in, as independent as possible oh, yeah. so that they can rule and and prosper the way that uh, they were designed you know to to do but um, 
so yeah, I would encourage our listeners to go check out your stuff, get get your buy your books. Can they get it on Amazon? Can they? What's the best place for you for them to get them? Um, Amazon, really. I mean, you can find all my books at jackbookby.co.uk. That's J-A-C-K-B-U-C-K-B-Y.co.uk. Um, all my books are, are listed there, but you can buy them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, okay. or, or that kind of stuff. Well, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes to to your website so that they can they can have access to your books and and purchase them there um you're probably going to get a ton of sales i just want to warn you you'll probably be able to buy a, <laughs> buy a, another house or a yacht or something because there's Can't so, wait. So, yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man well jack thanks again man i i mean i just have such respect for you and uh and i can't wait to finally meet you in person at some point it'll be cool look forward to it cheers again yeah thanks brother yes bye-bye Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next time.